It's great to see you tonight. For those of you here, thank you for joining us in the room. Those of you that are joining us online, thank you as well. Um, I heard somebody, I don't know who it was, I just heard as everyone was greeting, someone looked at another person they said, you always look good. And I went, there you go. Way to take that compliment and move it up a notch there. I am so glad you are here tonight. I want to talk to you tonight, and I want you to take your Bibles. I hope you brought your Bibles. I don't care if it's in this form or on your phone or your iPad or whatever, but I want you to get them out. It's going to be on the screen, but I've also got a couple of passages that I will share with you that are not going to be on the screen. So take them and turn with me to Matthew chapter 13, and we're going to start with a parable that Jesus actually tells. I want to talk to you tonight about what I've just entitled a harsh warning from Jesus. I want to talk to you about the subject of hell. Now, the reason why I think it's so important is there has been this recent trend that wants to negate the reality of hell in order to ease our conscience. It's this idea that hell is an allegory or hell is just some warning and it's not real. Jesus considered it real. The apostles considered it real. The early church fathers considered it real. And no amount of recent revisionist history changes what the Bible actually says. And so I need you to know something tonight. This this parable that Jesus tells, it's not warm and fuzzy. Okay, it's not feel good at all. But there's a reason why Jesus tells these people that this is important. It's a parable. It's a comparison. So he's talking about, he said, this is what the kingdom of heaven is going to be like. And in this time, he's saying, this is what the end of the age is going to be like. So in Matthew chapter 13, verses 47 through 50, he says, once again, he's been telling a series of parables. Once again, the kingdom of heaven is like a net that was let down into the lake and caught all kinds of fish. And when it was full, the fishermen pulled it up to the shore. And they sat down, collected the good fish in baskets, but threw the bad away. This is how it will be at the end of the age. The angels will come and separate the wicked from the righteous and throw them into the blazing furnace where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. That's it. That's the parable. Now, now if, if some of you like to watch a movie or read a book and you like to have the happy ending... Jesus is particular about this. He wants us to pay attention to this parable. So tonight, when we look at this harsh warning from Jesus, I need you to know something. Is that if he's warning people then, and this is his word is the same yesterday, today, and forever, he's warning us now as well. So he says there's a net that's been let down into the lake. There are two types of net. Um, two types of nets that you use for fishing. I grew up on the coast, uh, the Gulf of Mexico in Mississippi. And um, uh, so I've never done a lot of freshwater fishing in my life. It's all been mostly been just saltwater fishing. So this is something that's familiar to me is this idea of of, um, not just casting um, rods and reels, but it's actually casting nets. So there are two types of nets that would be used. One would be a small net that's mainly used for catching small fish, sometimes just for bait or what we would call on the coast, little small mullet fish that you would catch. And it's, it's, a, it's one that you would take, you, you literally would take part of it, you put it in your mouth and, 
um, hold the end of it with your mouth and uh, it's weighted on the ends and you take it and you cast it out. You need to open your mouth when you cast it out because there's a weight on the end. But you cast it out and it goes out into a circle and when it comes down, then it just settles down to the bottom and you pull a string on it and it brings those weights, those, those sinkers on the, that are tied to the end of it together and it pulls up everything that's under that. So you're not using bait. You're not trying to trick the fish. You're just casting a net over them. That's not the net that he's talking about here. He's talking about a net that would have put, been put down over the side of a boat. The best analogy that I have, and this is my analogy, you probably don't understand this, but um, it, it's, a, it's a shrimp boat. It's just, this is the coastal living. It's, it's, it's the idea that you would have a boat, you'd have a net that's behind you, you would take the net out, there were runner boards that you would put down to keep it on the bottom, and you would drag it along the bottom in order for you to catch the, the shrimp that you want. And when you did that, you could, you could literally know when it was time. So Jesus talks all the time about that the only person that knows the time and the place is the Father who has determined the time when the end is going to come. But you, you can only know, you don't know when the net is full. You can't look down because it's way down. You can't look down and say, oh, there's enough fish there. You literally have to know by feel that there is a slight difference in the tug. You know when it's full by the, the way that it moves the boat a little bit in the back. And you begin to reel the net in. And when you get it, it's got everything in there. It has fish, it has shrimp, it has flounder, it has stingrays, it has everything that's, that's near there, and it's got every bit of trash that's been thrown onto the ocean floor. And so when you get it, you dump it into this big box there. It's really like a calling box. So everything goes this side. There is a piece that's over here that will allow you to empty it out. And so you empty it here, and then you take it, and you get what you need, the shrimp, and put them over into the right side. And everything else, you just scoop out and you just push it out. It's considered trash. It's considered waste. It's no good to anybody because that's not what you're there for. The analogy that Jesus is saying is at the end of the age, that there is coming a time when God is going to collect everyone and he's going to separate the righteous from the wicked. And he and he alone is the determining factor and who is righteous and who is wicked. And in very, all the other parables that he tells, he really doesn't focus on, um, and I, I don't want you to think Jesus is just trying to be doom and gloom here. He's given a harsh warning. Other places it tells us that the righteous are going to be given the rewards of heaven. But here he focuses on the wicked and he says, and the, the wicked, not only are the bad fish going to be cast out, he says they're going to be thrown into the blazing furnace where there's weeping, and gnashing of teeth. There are four things I want you to see about this, and I want to tell you the four realities of hell that Jesus talks about here. I'm going to try to go through them very quickly because my purpose tonight is to give you an understanding of this. And my hope is, is that when you leave here, there will be a sense of an urgency for you to view people in this world differently, that they don't suffer this demise in their eternity. The first thing I want you to see is this. The first truth after the, about the afterlife is all people will be brought to judgment. All people. You say, well, I thought just the wicked are going to be. No, everybody's coming before the judgment throne. Everybody. So look at verse 47. Once again, the kingdom of heaven is like a net that was let down into the lake and caught all kinds of fish. So there's a time where we will stand before the Lord. All of us are going to stand before the Lord. Other places in Scripture, Jesus tells us that the, the, the righteous are going to be rewarded and the wicked are going to be punished. But everybody is going before the Lord. And they're going before the Lord 
to determine whether or not they've been deemed righteous or wicked. So if you're sitting here going, I want to avoid that, you're going before the Lord. All of us are. So it's the first thing you need to know. The second thing is this. There will be a separation process. There will be a separation process. Verse 48, when it was full, the fishermen pulled it up on the shore and they sat down and collected the good fish in baskets but threw the bad away. Now, what is the determination? How do you know what's good and what's bad? Well, the only thing that makes you good is if you have been redeemed by Jesus through his work on the cross and his resurrection from the dead through the surrender of your life to the lordship of Jesus. That is it. There is no good works that will get you into heaven. There's no scales of justice there. God himself is the just one. And in his justice, he sent Jesus to pay the price for our sins and to give us new life. And if we will yield our lives to him, yes, we get forgiveness of sins when, Jesus, when we accept Jesus as our Lord and Savior. But Jesus didn't come to just absolve you of your past. He came to reconcile you to the Father by surrendering to his lordship. Make no bones about it. This is not about giving you a feel-good. Now, when the weight of sin is off your shoulders, you will have a joy that you never dreamed possible. But this is about surrendering to the lordship of Jesus Christ because the Bible tells us that one day every knee will bow, every tongue will confess in heaven, on earth, and under earth that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. The only question is a question of timing. Do you do it now and receive the rewards or do you do it then when it's past hope? There is a separation process. You say, well, this, this is kind of harsh. Listen, Jesus is not trying to hide anything from you. He would rather tell you the truth in love so that you would know. Listen, this is not about your good works. It's not about being super spiritual. I've noticed in these last days that, that um, people are just fascinated they're fascinated by prophecies and signs and wonders and by the people they think are the spiritual elite. Can I just tell you? And Jesus said, signs and wonders would follow them that would believe that they would do certain things. Can I tell you when he said that? He said it when he said the Great Commission. So he said, this is the reason why these signs and wonders are going to follow those that believe, so that you may tell them about Jesus and him alone. It's not for your entertainment. It's not for just your benefit. It's not for you to come into a church service, just the godly and just the saint field, and watch what God can do and feel good about yourself or good about your God. It's about telling people about Jesus and glorifying God the Father. That's what it's for. That's what Jesus said. And people are so enamored with it right now now that they forget that the purpose of them is to point people to Jesus and not to anything else. As a matter of fact, Jesus said, there's coming a day. He said, listen, there's going to be people in judgment day that are going to be the spirit. They think they're the spiritual elite and they think they've done all these wonderful things. As a matter of fact, in Matthew chapter 7, verses 21 through 23, he says this, he says, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven but only the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. Many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name? In your name drive out demons. In your name perform many miracles. And I will tell them plainly, I never knew you away from me, you evildoers. How is it possible to see the signs and wonders and the miraculous? 
It's the person who's been given the gifts of those things, but uses them not to glorify God, but uses them to influence others to get what they want in their lives. He says, I will hold you accountable for that. You may have used my gifts for your purpose, but you cannot come to me and call me Lord, Lord on the last day. The separation process is about one thing. Have I surrendered my heart to Jesus Christ? That's it. Do I walk in obedience to what he calls me to do? Am I humble enough to accept not only the provision, but also the pain that comes with serving him so that his name may be glorified? And when he gives me gifts, and when he gives me the ability to share or a platform, will I give him and him alone all the glory? There's coming a separation process. The third thing is this. The saved, those who have accepted Jesus, will be rewarded with heaven. Verse 49 says, and this is how it will be at the end of the age. The angels will come separate the wicked from the righteous. So there's obviously going to be a separation time, but there's also obviously a different destination that's going to take place. Different places Jesus tells us about the rewards that the righteous will have. The fourth thing I need you to see is this. The unsaved, those who have rejected Jesus either with their actions or their words, will be assigned to a place in hell for eternity. Notice what he says. Not me, what he says. And throw them into the blazing furnace where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. I often wonder about the weeping and the gnashing of teeth. And I thought for a long time that maybe it was about the suffering. And there is suffering that will take place in hell. We'll talk about that in a moment. But I don't think that's what the weeping and gnashing of teeth is about. I think it's the realization for some people that they've played games with God for so long and now it's too late. Do you know what it means to gnash your teeth? It means that you are so frustrated and angry with someone that you can barely get the words out. If you don't know what gnashing of teeth is, how many of, you, how many of you have ever had a parent talk to you with their teeth closed? In, in public, somewhere, they, they're so angry. I mean, they don't want to yell, but they're like, you just went till I get you home. It's, it's that kind of, or it's you personally going, oh, I can't believe I did that. Can you imagine that? Weeping and gnashing of teeth because of the decisions you made in this life will follow you into eternity. Folks, I'm going to tell you something. And you, you were like, you're probably like, man, I came for this. I told you it was going to be on hell, and you came anyway. Four, I want to give you four types of suffering that are going to take place in hell. I need you to know it's real. And I need you to know it's not some place that all the partiers are going to go to have a party with their friends. The first type is this. There is emotional anguish. Emotional anguish. Eleven times in the New Testament, Jesus refers to hell and calls it Gehenna. 
Gehenna is a word that doesn't translate very easily into English, so it's just we, it's it's been left. It's just been transliterated. It's been left in the in its original form, but just put to English letters. Gehenna literally means a certain valley. It's 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 a valley that's just outside of Jerusalem. There is the Kidron Valley that goes from the Mount of Olives up to the Eastern Gate. And then over to the right, if you're at Jerusalem looking out the Mount of Olives, to the right, along the way, there is another valley. And it was called Gehenna. It was called that because this is the place where in the Old Testament, the pagans used to sacrifice their children to false gods. And the people of Israel would do the same thing. It was, it was devalued so much that no one would go there, no one would build anything, so it became literally a trash dump. It's where people would take the trash and throw it out. Now, it's not like your county dump, your county trash place, okay? They, they, they don't dig holes and bury it. No, back then, they would throw it out. Everything worthless would be thrown into that, and it would be set on fire. This was constantly burning, constantly. Jesus compared hell to Gehenna. He said, this is where everything that is now deemed unworthy of God's love is going to go. It was a word picture that everyone in Jerusalem would know. Everyone in Israel would know. He says, this is what it's going to be like. This is not going to be fun. This is not going to be an alternate reality that's going to take place later on. This is emotional anguish. And for that, to think for all of eternity, you have to think about your decision and realize that even though Jesus Christ came to this earth and thought that I was worthy enough to die for because of my choice. I'm no longer worthy of his loving grace. That's not his desire. The Bible tells us that God is willing that all should come to repentance. That's his hope, but it's our choice. The emotional anguish of realizing that the worth that we've been given by Jesus is now gone based on our choices. Emotional anguish. The second thing is this, literally physical anguish. I've heard a lot of people try to to re-describe, redefine what Jesus was trying to say. Jesus was very, very plain and specific when he talked about the physical anguish that would be associated with hell. As a matter of fact, in another parable, he tells, he describes what it's like. In Luke chapter 16, verses 19 through 31, we'll be there for a minute. I want to read to you through uh, uh, 19 through 24 right now. He says, there was a rich man who was dressed in purple and fine linen and lived in luxury every day. At his gate was laid a beggar named Lazarus covered with sores and longing to eat what fell from the rich man's table. Even the dogs came and licked his sores, talking about the beggar. The time came when the beggar died and the angels carried him to Abraham's side. The rich man also died and was buried. In Hades, where he was in torment, he looked up and saw Abraham far away with Lazarus by his side. And so he called to him, Father Abraham, have pity on me. 
Send Lazarus to dip the tip of his finger in water and cool my tongue because I am in agony in this fire. Jesus is giving a word picture, but he's not trying to, he's not trying to be symbolic here. He describes the anguish. Now, if you're here and you think, man, this, this, uh, this is heavy, and I realize that. Look, I grew, I grew up, man, I can remember when I was just coming into my formative years, coming into middle school, and, um, I, I, and, and some of you have no idea what this was like, but um, in, the, in the late 70s and the early 80s, I mean, we tried to scare people into heaven, literally. I mean, literally. I can, I'm still haunted by it. There was a movie that came out talking about the rapture and everything. I st I'm still haunted by this one song that was on there. The song is just so creepy in it. It's just, there's no time to change your mind. The sun is coming. You've been left behind. Oh, my goodness. I'd, every time I did something wrong, I'd wake up that song just, just going through my head. I'm not trying to scare you. I don't play theatrics with the gospel. I'm trying to tell you what Jesus said. And what he said, you need to know. Hell is going to be a place of physical torment. The third type of suffering is this. Relational anguish. The same passage, Luke 16, verses 25 to 28, it says, But Abraham replied to him, Son, remember in your lifetime you've received your good things, while Lazarus received bad things. But now he's comforted in here, and you're in agony. And besides this, between us and you, there's a great chasm that has been set in place so that those who want to go from here to you cannot, nor can anyone cross over from there to us. And he answered, Then I beg you, Father, send Lazarus to my family, for I have five brothers. Let him warn them so they will not come to this place of torment. How bad is it? One of the most self-centered people in parables says, will you please go tell my family? Don't do this. Don't come here. There's no community in hell. I've heard people all my life say, ah, you know, it's okay. I'll just go to hell. All my friends are going to be there. We'll just party there. No, you won't. In hell, there's no one to help you. In hell, you're suffering on your own. Hell will be filled with unbelievers, but every one of them will be alone. And Revelation tells us that for the believers, that God will wipe away every tear from our eyes. And the thought that keeps resonating with me is this. What if that means that the sad memory of our loved ones and friends who refuse to accept Jesus, those memories that bring us pain, will no longer exist because we'll no longer remember them? Every relationship severed. Those in hell will no longer bring sorrow to the righteous. The fourth type of suffering in hell is this, spiritual anguish. Luke chapter 16, verses 29 to 31 says, Abraham replied, 
after he says, send them back. Tell my brothers, Abraham says, they have Moses and the prophets. What he means is this, that was their scriptures. That was their Bible. They've got the Bible. They've got the word of God. Let them listen to them. No, Father Abraham, he said, but if someone from the dead goes to them, they will repent. And he said to them, if they won't listen to the word of God, they will not be convinced even if someone rises from the dead. The spiritual anguish is this. You've been given every opportunity to know that Jesus is real. But there are no more chances in hell. And I know the question that comes to people's minds, why would a good God send people to hell? But Hebrews tells us that without holiness, no person will be able to see God. Without Jesus, none of us are holy. But through Jesus, we've been made holy and righteous, which enables us to live in God's presence. Jesus has made a way. And he's offered this way to God to everyone who would accept him. And if someone refuses to accept him, chooses to reject him, then they've made their own choice to live without him in that life and in this life, and that choice carries over into eternity as well. The choice is so simple. And I don't know why people can't see it. Pain, darkness, suffering, gnashing of teeth, in hell, or peace, joy, and God's presence forever being the light in heaven. That's the choice that we have. That's the choice that everyone we come into contact has. It's why there ought to be an urgency about us to tell people about Jesus. We tell them and we live out the gospel in front of them. Why is that important? Because today it is getting, in the past, in the past it could be easy for people to just sort of slip in and slip out, disguise themselves as Christians on Sundays and disguise themselves with the world Monday through Saturday. There's a line of demarcation that is taking place right now with the things that are taking place around the world, in our country, you know where people stand now. And I want you to listen to me. It's going to become more and more apparent whether you have yielded your life to the Lord Jesus or you've surrendered to the ways of the world. This is what Romans chapter 1 tells us, verses 18 through 32. It says, The wrath of God is being revealed from heaven against all the ungodliness and wickedness of men who suppress the truth by their wickedness. Since what may be known about God is plain to them because God has made it plain to them. For since the creation of the world, God's invisible qualities, his eternal power and his divine nature have been clearly seen, being understood from what has been made so that men, that means mankind, is without excuse. For although they knew God, they neither glorified him as God nor gave him thanks to him, but their thinking became futile and their foolish hearts were darkened. And although they claimed to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images made to look like mortal man and birds and animals and reptiles. Notice this. Therefore God gave them over in their sinful desires of their heart to sexual impurity for the, for the degrading of their bodies with one another. 
They exchanged the truth of God for a lie, and they worshiped and served created things rather than the creator who is forever praised. And because of this, God gave them over to shameful lust. Even their women exchanged natural relations for unnatural ones. In the same way, the men also abandoned natural relations with women and were inflamed with lust for one another. Men committed indecent acts with other men and received in themselves the due penalty for their perversion. And furthermore, since they did not think it worthwhile to retain the knowledge of God, he gave them over to a depraved mind to do what ought not to be done. And they have become filled with every kind of wickedness, evil, greed, and depravity. They are full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, and malice. They are gossips, slanderers, God-haters, insolent, arrogant, and boastful. They invent ways of doing evil. They disobey their parents. They are senseless, faithless, heartless, and ruthless. And although they know God's righteous decree that those who do such things deserve death, they not only continue to do these very things, but approve of those who practice them. This is the time where it's becoming apparent that after a long time, God gives people over to their depraved condition where it becomes very, very apparent where you stand. And the Lord himself, the Lord himself is the one who defines righteousness and holiness. And I know in this world today, people want to confuse you. And people want to tell you that it's okay to do certain things. It's okay to be like the world. It's okay. Listen, it's okay to love who you want and all of this. Can I just tell you something? God has laid down his instructions. And the creator gets to tell the created what is right. The creation cannot tell the creator that he's wrong. And just because the world says it's okay doesn't make it right. Just because your friends says it's okay doesn't make it right. Just because the president or the government tries to say it is okay doesn't make it right. Just because the world of entertainment says it doesn't make it right. Listen, there is one thing and one thing only that makes it right, and it is Jesus Christ, and it is the standards of God that we live by. I don't get to declare, I don't get to choose those things. I don't get to make those things. I get to surrender to the lordship of Jesus Christ. I do not tell him what to do. He sits on the throne. I kneel at his throne. You proclaim and you live the gospel. And listen, when you proclaim the gospel and you live the gospel and you live differently than other people, people are not going to like you. Proclaim it and live it anyway. Let me just tell you something. When you proclaim and live the gospel, you're going to offend some people. Now, don't live to be an offense. But living righteous will offend some people. And this is the, this is the surprising thing. Is when Jesus and the apostles preached the gospel, they offended two groups of people and they attracted another group. They offended the world and they also offended the super hyper spiritual. The world was offended because they didn't want to let them go. The super spiritual were offended because they didn't want to let them in. Do you know who he attracted? Lost. The ones whom the Holy Spirit had been dealing with their heart and he said the truth. You can't live this way and make it to heaven. 
You have to live this way, but you can't do it on your own. But I have come, and with me you can. And they flocked to him. And for 2,000 years, billions of people have been flocking to Jesus. And still to this day, the world doesn't like it. The world doesn't like the gospel. And there's going to be some of the religious, the super spiritual that think they got it all together. They don't like it either. Because all they can see is what that person was and what they forget is that what, what they used to be. Listen to me. If God truly does revival, there are some ugly people. I don't mean physically. Some ugly people that are going to get radically saved and they're going to be changed. And if it bothers you that a drug addict may come in this place and surrender their lives and be free from their addiction and their hope is found in Jesus Christ, there's not something wrong with that person. Something wrong with you. And you need to fill in the blank for everything because listen to me, that was you and that was me. And but for the grace of God, that would be us right now. Because I want you to know something. When the lost and the broken come to Jesus, they come in an ugly state. But Jesus, Jesus, Jesus changes everything and makes them beautiful. And addictions are broken. And bondage, people in bondage are set free. And marriages are made whole. And relationships are healed. And minds are now filled with peace that were filled with anxiety. Because as we sang over, over and over again, Jesus changes everything. And I have to tell you something. It is my heart's desire. I don't, I don't stand here and act like I'm old, okay? But, but I know the years I have left in ministry. And if you think I'm going to spend those years just making people feel comfortable when there's a lost and broken world, you're sadly mistaken. And my prayer is, is that the same discomfort, this holy discontent he's stirring up in me, that he'll stir up in you as well. And that we'll view this world as the mission field because hell is real, but so is heaven. Hell is real, but you don't have to go there. And neither does your friends. So why don't we make it our mission? In the name of Jesus, to do what Jesus has told us to do. is to seek and to save those that are lost. Would you bow your heads? We're going to have a time of prayer in just a few moments. And that time of prayer is going to be prayer for if you have needs, we're going to pray for needs. But I, but I just feel, well, if we're going to talk about it, there is a good chance that some of you that came in this room tonight or maybe you started watching online, you were intrigued by the subject. And I don't make any pretense 
that my message changed anything, but the Bible says the Word of God will not come back void. That the Holy Spirit is now tugging on your heart. That you know the direction that you're heading in is not a direction in heaven with the Lord. You can change that right now. I surrender your heart to Jesus Christ. You pray something like this. Lord Jesus, thank you for the sacrifice that you made. I believe that you're real. I believe that you are the Son of God. I believe that you came to this earth. I believe that you died on a cross for my sins. I believe that you raised a new life so that I could have new life too. And Lord, I repent. I change directions. I turn around from the way that I've been living. And I kneel at the foot of the cross and surrender to your Lordship. And ask you to forgive my past and ask you to guide my future so that I will never be the same. Now, everyone in the room, just pray this prayer with me, please. Just say, Jesus, I give you my life. One more time. Jesus, I give you my life. Now, with your heads bowed and your eyes closed, if that's you, I'm not here to embarrass you tonight. But if that's you, you say, I know when I came in this place, things weren't right between me and the Lord but I'm making a decision to follow him, surrender to him tonight. If that's you, would you just raise your hand really high just for a moment? Just keep it up just for a moment, please. God bless you. God bless you. Amen. 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 All right, you can put them down. Father, we thank you. Thank you for lives, hearts, futures, destinies, and eternities that have been changed because of your grace and nothing else because you've been so gracious in your love and your sacrifice for us. We accept that tonight and we give you praise for that, oh Lord. In these next few moments, Lord, be with us in these altars as we pray for needs, as we pray one for the other, and as we lift up whoever it is that you're going to bring to our mind that is our mission field. Lord, we talked about it this past Sunday, but tonight I pray that if, you, if nothing came to mind this past week, that you'd begin to put a person on our hearts. They're our mission field. And we're going to pray for them like we talked about last, last month, first Wednesday. We're going to intercede for them, and we're going to share it, we're going to proclaim it, and we're going to live out the gospel in front of them for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen. Listen, I'm, this is going to be a time where we pray one for the other. Our prayer team is going to come up here. We're going to worship. Um, but also, maybe where you are, or maybe you're here and you've just got someone on your heart that you're burdened with. You say, this is a person that's really on my heart. You may not have a physical need or something like that, but you want someone to pray with you and agree with you in prayer that that person, that the Holy Spirit will begin to convince that person, convict their heart, they'll come to Jesus. We'd love to pray with you that as well. You can do also that. You can, you can pray about them. If you want to come kneel up here with that person in mind and just pray, we're going to worship for a few moments and we're going to pray together and believe that God is going to change lives in Jesus' name. Would you stand with me, please? As our prayer team comes, I just wanted you to prepare your hearts right now. Prepare your hearts to engage the Lord in worship and in prayer and intercede on that person that God has made your mission feel in Jesus' name.
that welcomes me, the kindness of mercy that bought with blood wholeheartedly my soul undeserving. God, your soul.
you to do. Here's what I want you to do. When you thank God for something that's taking place in the past, it's called gratitude. When you thank God for something that's going to take place in the future, it's called faith. So do you have that person in your mind that God has placed as your mission field? Do you have that person? All right, for the next few moments, here's what I want you to do. Whether you verbalize it or whether you say it with your mind, I want you to lift your hands and I want you to start praising God for their salvation right now. Come on, lift them up. Come on, praise them right now. Praise him. Look, it's a joyous time when they receive the Lord. Praise him right now like it's going to happen. Give him praise right now like it's going to happen. Give him praise right now that they're going to walk out of darkness into his marvelous light. Give him praise right now that they're going to be set free from that bondage and that addiction right now. Give him praise they're going to be set free from that alternative lifestyle right now. Give him praise right now by faith. Come on, lift up the name of the Lord for what he's going to do right now. In Jesus' name. Come on, give him praise, give him praise, give him praise. Now, come on, with that in mind, by faith, I want you to sing that chorus one more time. With them in mind, by faith, celebrating what God has done. We sing, how great, how great, how great is your love. visualize that day? Can you picture that day when they come to know Jesus as Lord and Savior? Can you? Why don't you give them your highest praise for that right now? Believe it, it's going to happen. Amen? Blessed be the name of the Lord. Hallelujah. Amen. Listen, if you have the opportunity, in a week and a half, it's a perfect time to invite them. Easter Sunday is going to be here. It's going to be a great day. And it's going to be a day I believe God's going to change lives and eternities. And those aren't just random people. They're your friends. They're your loved ones. And we believe God is going to do that. Amen. If you haven't already, you make sure you invite somebody. Laura and I have already invited our mission field. We've got a conditional yes. And we're just believing they're going to be here uh, for that day. So I want you to go and do the same thing as well. Guys, I hope you have a great remainder of the week. I hope to see you this Sunday, Palm Sunday. It's going to be fantastic. But before you go, let me bless you. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious unto you. And the Lord turn his face towards you and give you peace in Jesus' name. Let's give our response. Let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, my strength 
and my Redeemer. God bless you, folks. Love you much. Have a great week.